What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Pick and Pod. It is our NBA trade deadline edition. Jackson Heil joined by Kelly Bright. Kelly, it's been a while. Is everything going? Good, Jackson. I think this might be the first time I think that you and I hosted this show together, but everything's good. I'm in the middle of my season, so anytime I get a break to talk about professional sports, <laughs> I welcome it with open arms. Yeah, I honestly... I don't think we've ever hosted together in any capacity. I know we were on one-on-one together that one night where I went off on you as a Boston sports <laughs> fan um, back in the fall. So that was fun. But um, yeah, I think this is the first time I've been hosting pick and pod in a long time. So I'm excited. I think the last time I was hosting pick and pod was when I was giving my memoir to the bubble Denver nuggets back in whenever that was November, maybe. And telling everyone how much money I lost on the Boston Celtics in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. But here we are, trade deadline edition. We're going to get to all of that. We will talk about your Boston Celtics, who are in the headlines yet again. Um, We'll see what direction they go, a game under 500 at the moment. But first things first, we got to talk about LeBron James. Obviously, the biggest fixture in the NBA, the biggest star of the NBA right now and announced yesterday that he's going to be sidelined indefinitely with a high ankle sprain. This is already on top of the fact that the Lakers are missing Anthony Davis for who knows how long, because this has been a lingering injury. We know about the Achilles tendonitis. He's got a calf issue on top of it. So who knows when he's going to come back. And all of a sudden the Lakers might be in trouble because they're without their two stars. Obviously we know that they're built around those two, but the fact of the matter is when you have two guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you have to make sacrifices elsewhere. And you look at the rest of this Lakers roster, there's a lot of pieces to go with it, but Kelly, I want to give this to you first. I want to hear what your overall concern level is with this Lakers team. They're 28 and 15 right now. They're third in the Western conference, just three games back of the jazz, but There's a lot of clutter at the top of the Western Conference. So what do you make of this Lakers team right now? Well, first of all, Jackson, I'm surprised it was LeBron's ankle that gave out and not his back from the weight (laughs) of carrying this team since AD's been out through, you know, he's averaging 25 points per game. He, He is the heart and soul of this team. And without AD, there was already questions to whether or not this team was going to be able to perform well come playoff time. But now, Without AD and without LeBron, I think there's even bigger question marks, especially because you look at something like a high ankle sprain and it's a four to six week timeline, but every player is different. And now luckily LeBron is notorious for being able to come back from injury very quickly. He's not someone who misses a lot of games. It's it's one of one of the things that makes him such a great player. AD, on the other hand, I, the fact that we don't know much and he's been out for what, 14, 15 games now. It leads me to believe, and I heard Stephen A. say say this on first take this morning, it's kind of questionable as to how serious these injuries are and why we aren't learning more about them. Um, Is this something, is LeBron going to come back before AD? I don't know. All that being said, if I'm a Lakers fan, if I'm on the Lakers, I'm not too worried, and here's why. If you have LeBron James on your team come playoff time, and I I believe full-heartedly he's going to be back by the time the playoffs are back, are, are here, I think you're going to be fine, especially if you look at this Western Conference. No team has been outrightly dominant consistently enough to be a major threat to this Lakers team when they're healthy. Even if they don't have AD back at full strength, I think if you have LeBron and at least AD at like 80%, I think they're still too dominant and too deep a team 
to really have too much competition in that Western Conference playoff series. Um, the Western Conference, if you look at seeds one to eight, those could change day to day and they have been changing. Um, and I think it's all going to come down to how healthy they are. But if they have AD and LeBron back by playoffs, no matter what their record ends up being by that point, even if they drop down to a seven seed, I still think they're, they have the talent and the necessary roster to make it, make a deep playoff run. If not make it all the way to the championship. I'm with you on that too, because I, I think that as long as you have AD and LeBron, like you're fine. Like there's no worries about if those guys are healthy, no matter what seed they are, I, I think there's enough confidence in this Lakers team to say, Hey, they can still win it all. And I'm completely with that. I mean, coming into this year, I feel like it was pretty clear cut that the Lakers were the favorites in the West. And I still feel that way, even with how Utah has played. I mean, they got off to this incredible start, but they're six and six over their last 12. They've kind of come back down to earth. And you look at the rest of the Western conference. I mean, Phoenix has been a great story. They're 28 and 13 right now in second place. I love what they've done. I think they have a lot of good complimentary pieces in addition to Devin Booker and Chris Paul. I love the way Mikael Bridges has come along for them, but like, if we're being honest, they're not worried about Phoenix. Um, the Clippers, I'm still on board with the Clippers being frauds until I see otherwise. So um, I'm not worried about the Clippers. Denver is, I mean, the one team that I would be slightly concerned about, along with potentially Portland, because I think mm -hmm. that even though they got off to slow starts, they figured something out. Nicole Jokic is the toughest matchup in the NBA for me personally, outside of LeBron um, and KD. So that I think is an interesting matchup. And then Damian Lillard, obviously. But my one worry for the Lakers is the concern about Anthony Davis' health, because you know LeBron's going to come back from a high ankle sprain. But I think you brought up a great point because we don't really know enough about this AD injury right now to give a timeline. I think that it possibly is a little more serious than they're letting along. And listen, as long as they have them back by the postseason, I'm not too concerned about the Lakers. But if it's LeBron and the rest of the, these Lakers castoffs, I'm not saying they can't win the West, but I mean, that's a massive blow. AD's a top five player in the league. There's no question about it. And his defensive versatility is what really made the Lakers so good last year, in my opinion, because he just added a completely different element. I mean, you have two of the best on-ball defenders in the world in LeBron when he ramps it up in the postseason when he wants to, and Anthony Davis as well. If you take AD out of the question, you take away their size, you really force so much of the burden on LeBron. And uh, listen, I was burned last year doubting LeBron. I'm not going to do that again. But if he's without his second superstar, we know how hard it is to win in today's NBA without that. And if AD's gone for the foreseeable future and LeBron's out, I, I don't know how the Lakers are going to survive without them, though. That, that's my biggest concern over the regular rest of the regular season because they are two and a half games out of sixth in the West right now. Foreseeably, if they're caught, that makes their road so much more difficult from there on out because you have a top two or three seed. You can cruise to the first round. You don't have to put a ton of minutes on LeBron and AD at that point, and you can figure something out from there. But they drop to fifth or sixth, have to take on the Clippers, potentially Denver in the first round. That's a long road for an aging LeBron James to have to take on in the playoffs. And I'm not going to doubt him, but – it's going to be difficult to say the least. And that would be my biggest concern for the rest of the regular season going forward. Yeah. I think the best thing they can hope for without AD and LeBron right now is to 
maybe get a 500 record in these games and just hover enough that you can stay in that six seed, five seed, seven seed area. Because if, if I'm a team in the Western Conference, I'm still afraid of playing the Lakers. Even if I'm a one seed, a two seed, a three seed, if I know I have to play the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs, I, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. And, oh, yeah. you know, you just said you don't want to doubt an aging LeBron. And I think LeBron's somebody who thrives off of, you know, people doubting him. And this would just give him more, give fans and haters more reason to doubt the Lakers, more reason to question if LeBron has what it, what it takes to lead a team back to the promised land. So I think if he is back, um, I think there's still a team that is a threat. Now, I know we're going to talk trade deadline later, but I think one thing, I don't know, is it wor- is it panic time yet for the Lakers to go out and try and find somebody? Because you look right now, there's a lot of major players who aren't playing right now. Seth Curry's out. Giannis out, KD's out, Embiid out. But you look at some of these other teams, these playoff contenders, they have three guys. So that means when Mm -hmm. one guy goes out, they have two who can step in. The Brooklyn Nets, James Harden and Kyrie Irving, 76ers, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris are stepping up. So who who on the Lakers is going to step up for them or is it going to require them going out and finding someone else to add to this team while while they're without their two superstars? It's tough for me to say right now what direction they will go in because do they really have the space right now to make a move? I think that's the biggest question when it comes to Lakers at the trade deadline. I think my answer is really no right now because when you look at the guys that are available, um, we'll, and we'll get to them later, I mean, but Malcolm Brockton potentially, Victor Oladipo, um, Kyle Lowry, the, like the list of these guys, like I don't – think the Lakers have the money or the space to make a deal like this. And I, I also don't think that the Lakers are really going to be looking for those type of guys because they have their two alpha dogs when they're healthy in LeBron and AD. I, I wouldn't panic if I'm the Lakers personally. I, I think they're not in a position to listen. They're coming off a championship. Obviously they want number two and back to back, but I think they're good enough right now when LeBron and AD are healthy to really do that. And honestly, I think the moves they foreseeably would have made at the deadline in normal circumstances, they made before the season, they went out and got Dennis Schroeder, who I think has been awesome for them. I think he's going to be a big part of what they do in the postseason this year. Montrez Harrell has been great coming off the bench from, as from a scoring perspective, excuse me. So like, I think they made the moves that they would have made at the deadline before the season started. So for that reason, I don't think they're going to panic. I don't think they're going to do anything too significant at the deadline. But it will certainly be interesting to watch because, who knows, the Lakers are the Lakers. They're, they're the biggest probably organization in basketball right now, maybe besides the Boston Celtics. So you know that something's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be, but the Lakers are the Lakers, and we'll see what direction they go. But I, I want to talk about um, the Knicks for a moment and specifically what has happened over – the last week or so because there's been a lot of talk about the Knicks as a whole and they have been the surprise team of the NBA this season they're game under 500 they're seventh in the Eastern Conference they're they've been battling around for a top four seed really this entire season but if there's been a criticism about the Knicks it's been their inability to beat teams above 500 and this past two weeks they have had Close game after close game. I mean, their last four games have been decided by less than five points. They beat Orlando by one over the weekend. Oh, man, I, I, didn't, I can't even get into the ending of this Knicks-Sixers game 
the other night. But the last two weeks, the Knicks have had two games stolen from them by officiating. I'm not going to get too far into the Brooklyn one because, listen, there were two horrific calls down the stretch of that game that didn't give the Knicks the opportunity to potentially tie the game. But again, it's Brooklyn. You're trying to tie the game against James Harden, Kyrie Irving. There's a decent chance they lose that game either way. So I'm not going to get fully into that. This game against Philadelphia earlier this week, where they're up one in overtime, they get a crazy three from Julius Randle at the end of regulation to tie the game. This game was stolen from them flat out by the officials. And to to be able to say that twice in a week, like it's got to be incredibly frustrating. And Julius Randle went on an absolute rampage in his post-game press conference the other day, calling it ridiculous. And he's absolutely right because with four seconds left, they call a, uh, there are words I can't use on this podcast to describe this call, but Tobias Harris gets nudged slightly by Julius Randle in what was an incredibly physical game to begin with. I mean, if you watch this game, this is what nineties NBA looked like in a nutshell. Like it was game was in the eighties going into overtime. Um, it was physical throughout. It looked like two teams who hated each other, which I think we're getting to the point with the Knicks and Sixers that this is the case. To make that call in that spot, a little nudge from Julius Randle and Tobias Harris with the ball in the air with four seconds left with the Knicks winning by one, while Tobias Harris proceeds to hack Nerlens Noel afterwards. And then on the game-winning shot attempt, Julius Randle gets slightly bumped, but they don't call that one. It's ridiculous to me. And, and there's so many things about this game that frustrate me, but, but it starts with the fact that how can you not get a third official? This is the National Basketball Association. This is supposed to be the biggest basketball league in the entire world. And you can't find a way to get a third official to this game. Man, I, the NBA has got to do a better job. The officiating needs to be better because, listen, this is the Knicks in their first playoff race since 2012-2013. And – to have two games like this essentially stolen from them. And again, I'm not saying they're going to win the Brooklyn game, but, but this Sixers game was a complete robbery of every sort. It's frustrating as a Knicks fan, because we haven't felt competitive basketball in a long, long time, Kelly. And for that reason, I'm pissed right now. I, I am pissed at the NBA. I'm pissed at the officiating. And I tell you what, I love Julius Randle for attacking these guys because it's been very deserved and he's not getting the respect he deserves, I think from NBA officials as well. Do they know what fan base they're dealing with when they're making? Exactly. Calls? I mean, I, I think I, I was on the show last week and, and this was right after the Scott Foster travel call. And to me, I, to be fair with that game, like you said, I think the nets were going to win that anyways. And I, even that call was a little on the edge. Whereas like you mm-hmm. said, this, this call in the 76ers with Randall and Tobias Harris, it was ridiculous you said a nudge. I would have said like a love tap. I, I don't even, yeah. it was bar- barely any contact. And it's like you said, it's frustrating because this is a team in the Knicks who have surpassed expectations. They are playing awesome basketball right now, especially given who they are and where they've come from over the past decade and even longer than that. And they're doing everything they can to stay in these games. And you, you know, look at the teams that in these close games that they're with the 76ers and, and the Nets, two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and they're right there. And so for a game to not come down to sloppy Knicks play or mistake or mental mistakes, but to come down to a call by the referee is extremely frustrating. And I think 
it's good though. It's good to see Julius Randle reacting like this because like I said, do they know what fan base they're dealing with? You know, Knicks fans are going to rally behind that. They're mm-hmm. going to be fired up by his reaction, by him walking off the zoom screen, which by the way is not the same as walking <laughs> on real life. It's just, it doesn't really have the same effect, but still I'm, I, I, I wouldn't panic if I'm the Knicks. I'm frustrated, but I, I would want them to use that energy to continue playing the way they have been. And they're going to get healthier than they are right now. Derek Rose has been out. Peyton's been out. IQ missed a few games. Mitchell Robinson, he's just getting back. He was a little rusty, but mm-hmm. this team is going to be okay. And and I don't think there's any reason to panic. I think there was more than enough reason to be frustrated, but I really think they're going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you too. Like I'm not concerned about this Knicks team whatsoever. Like, and in the entire, entire landscape of this thing this is year one of Tom Thibodeau like this is a I'm not going to say a rebuilding year but this is the beginning of a shift in culture for the Knicks so if they miss the playoffs it is what it is we are expecting that coming in now I don't think that's going to happen I think with the way this team has played um, with the way they're getting healthy again I I do think they are going to make the playoffs but if it comes down to the fact that they had this Philadelphia game stolen from them the Brooklyn game potentially stolen from them by the officials. Like, like Knicks fans are going to lose their minds, including myself. Like I will be one of them. I will be knocking at the doors of Adam Silver demanding something. I don't know what it will be at this point, but it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch the rest of the season on full for the Knicks because like you said, they are getting healthy. And I think it's important to note that like it's Tom Thibodeau team, like health is, even of more of the essence with how short of a bench he plays. I mean, he's been running a 10 man bench when things have been healthy and Rose has been out. Alfred Payton has missed a bunch of time. IQ was out. And obviously Mitchell Robinson just came back against Philadelphia the other night. So they are finally getting healthy. Hopefully some of the load will come off of Julius Randall and RJ Barrett, who's also taking a huge ascendance in year two, but we're not going to get fully into that because it is trade deadline time. I know I went on a little rant there. Apologies to all our listeners for having to deal with that. But I felt like it was very necessary given what has happened and given that the Knicks are playing competitive basketball. Anyways, Kelly, I want to talk about your Celtics for a second because when it comes to frustration, I'm sure you're probably at the peak of it right now with what has transpired this year with Boston. They're a game under 500 after the overtime loss to Memphis the other night. Rumors of a potential trade with the Magic, and it would be pretty significant. And we know the Celtics have that $28 million trade exception. I think they can only use $19 million of it, though, because of the signing of Tristan Thompson, who has been kind of a disappointment this year. But there are rumors that the Celtics are the front runners for Aaron Gordon, who is in the last year of a four-year $80 million deal. There are rumors that Evan Fournier would also be included in this deal going to Boston, who I happen to love, by the way, and I think would be a great fit there. With Marcus Smart as the piece essentially going back to Orlando along with two first-round picks as well. So Danny Ainge is, is going to be doing something at this trade deadline, and this appears to be it. Kelly, overall, I want to get your opinion on this in general, where you think the Celtics are at and what direction you would want them to go in at the trade deadline, because there's a lot of rumored people available right now. And to be honest, from my perspective, I don't think Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier should be the answer, but again, what do you think? So you mentioned being frustrated and as a Knicks fans, you're frustrated with the refs. I'm frustrated with the entire team right now. So (laughs) 
looking at this, uh, one thing I'm nervous about is you said, oh, something's definitely going to happen. The amount of times as a Celtics fans, I've heard that in the past 10 years and nothing has happened is ridiculous. This is true. Danny Ainge has a reputation of being the guy that almost did something, almost made a deal, was in rumors, was in trade talk, but never, never, things don't actually happen. So I'm hoping something actually happens, especially when you look at where this team is right now. They've been consistent for the past five years. They, they almost always are, you know, championship or at least high seed contenders. And this year they've just been disappointing, but you got to look at what this team has. They still have two of the best guards in the league in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And I think they're maybe one or two pieces away from really finding themselves again and being able to make a push late in the season, especially in the second half, which they've had a little bit of an easier schedule. You mentioned that uh, Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier deal that's that we've seen all over NBA trade rumors, you know, NBA Twitter. Here's, here's where I'm at with that. I, like you said, I actually really like Fournier and I think, Based on what I've read and based on what I've seen, there's no way they're just going to go after him. They're also going to go after Aaron Gordon. The only thing I'm worried about is getting rid of Marcus Smart. And to me, I'm I call me old fashioned, but I really love a team that has energy and has culture and has heart. And Marcus Smart is that person for the Boston Celtics. And he has been for a long time. So, you know, is it worth going out, getting rid of him? unloading some of your higher draft picks to bring in Aaron Gordon and Fournier. I don't know. You know, Gordon is a really good player, um, but to get him and to get Evan Fournier, the Celtics would be giving up one of the best playmakers on their team. And this is a team that has struggled to move the ball. And, and I don't know if Aaron Gordon is going to be able to help them with that. Evan Fournier, however, on the other hand, is someone who I think could help a lot of teams right now. He's a big, he's a great shooter. He ha- always has been last year. He was one of the leading three-point shooting percentage guys in the league. I, I actually could see him going to the Knicks as well. I think I think yeah. he could help them out. Uh, but I would love to have him on the Celtics. Uh, I would love to see them use some tra- some of that trade exception um, and not give up too many of their big players right now. But I, 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 I get worried that they're not going to do anything. I think there's going to be a lot of talk, and I'm not sure if they're going to end up making any big moves. I'm glad you brought up the Marcus Smart conversation because I feel like every Celtics fan has a different opinion on Marcus <laughs> Smart, whether it be good or bad. I mean, the, the guy's never seen a shot he didn't like, but he's also the epitome of a culture guy, like yes. hard nose, rugged, awesome defender, always on the loose balls. Um, so I'm glad you brought him up because I, I think it would be interesting to see the locker room dynamics if you let him walk because – at the same time, as as great as he is in terms of his energy, his defense, his leadership ability, he's also a guy that's not afraid to go at anyone, and that includes his own teammates sometimes to try to get them jacked up. So I think that would be an interesting dynamic. Um, personally, I just – I don't get the love for Aaron Gordon, personally. I know he's a super athlete, um, can be a guy who can defend the low posts, can also defend the perimeter – but to me, I, I look at Aaron Gordon and the rest of the guys available on the market, and I don't know how much Aaron Gordon does to the Celtics personally. Um, I, I think Evan Fournier would be the prize in that deal for me because I think for the Celtics, you look at their struggles this year, and a lot of it has been tied into the step back that Kemba Walker has taken this year. 
And Fournier, I know he's more of a wing type, but he can also handle the ball. He can run the point if you need him to. He's averaging like four assists this year per game to go with 19 points. And most importantly, he can shoot the rock too. Like to have another guy who can really space the floor. Kemba's only shooting like 35% from three this year. So to have a guy in Fournier who's a 40% career three-point shooter, I think would be big. So for that reason, I wouldn't mind the deal. But to give up two firsts and a Marcus Smart in that type of deal, I'm not sold on that if I'm a Celtics fan, personally. I think there are better options on the market. The one guy that I think every team should be on is Malcolm Brockton, personally. I'm not sure how available he is, but there are reports today out of Indiana that he's available. Apparently, DeMontis Sabonis is also potentially available, and he's getting monitored. I don't know what Indiana's doing, personally. They seem to be blowing it up um, completely. But if Brogdon's available, I am calling Indiana – if I'm a GM and making every pitch imaginable to get him here, he can score the rock. He's a really good three point shooter. He's also an awesome defender too, um, on the perimeter and off the ball. He's a guy that I think if there's one guy on any team that's available right now, that I think can make a significant push for a potential championship contender, which I don't know if the Celtics are right now, but just in general, Malcolm Brogdon's the guy for me, that really would move the needle for a lot of teams. Because we can talk about Victor Oladipo. I'm not sold on him being a guy that really is a difference maker. He's really struggled since he got to Houston and hasn't been the same post-injury. Kyle Lowry, I think, could be a guy. But, again, we're not sure how available he is. So, if there's one guy I'm looking at, Kelly, to me it's Malcolm Brogdon. And I'm calling Indiana to make sure that I do whatever I can to get him on my team, two, three first round picks. If that's the price to pay for that, he's a championship caliber player. In my opinion, the fact that you can make him a second or third option on potentially a team like Boston, I think the Clippers are a perfect fit for him to be able to take over some point guard duties there. There's not a bad fit for Malcolm Brogdon. And he's the guy that if I'm a contender, I'm doing everything I can to get him. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think I, I just learned about this Malcolm Brogdon potentially being available today as well. But you look at who is available in the names that have been going around during these trade deadline talks. And I think he's a younger productive guard and on a more reasonable contract than a lot of the other guys who are available right now. And like you mentioned, elite shooter, great ball handler, plays very good defense, which a lot of these teams are looking for those three things. So I think he's someone, like you've mentioned, he could fit into the Celtics very well. I haven't seen any rumors of them being in conversations with Indiana, but I have seen that the Clippers are interested there, which I think, again, would be a great fit, especially the Clippers are looking for point guard help and looking for someone to help them create more shots and help out um, manage the load with uh, Kawhi and them over there. But uh, Malcolm Brogdon is great. Kyle Lowry, I think, is the be best player, the biggest player in right now in conversation. Okay. But he, to me, he's someone who also has the highest price tag, and I don't think a team like Celtics are going to be willing to spend that. Um, Kyle Lowry, I think his best option right now is Philly. And I, I think Philly is somewhere – they don't have the cap space this summer to wait, for, wait around for him. To, for him to be a free agent, see, to be a free agent in the summer. If they want him, they're going to have to move now. And that's the same thing for a lot of these guys. You know, I think right now, obviously, every trade deadline, we, there's a lot of rumors. Everyone's name is included in every conversation. It seems like every team is looking at the same players. 
But at, at the end of the day, I, I think we're going to see a pretty relatively quiet um, trade deadline, especially really? because, so many, because so many teams right now, especially with the expanded playoffs, they have a chance of staying, uh, you know, staying around and hopefully contending for playoffs. And I talked about this a little bit last week, but I think a lot of teams right now are hesitant to get rid of some of their, you know, maybe second unit guys because right now they see their rosters as being uh, capable of making it to the playoffs, even if it's through a playing game, through a playing tournament. So mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, I'm very interesting to see what happens with Lowry. I, I think he could end up on Philly, but I, I'm very just to see what your thoughts are on a player like that. I think the point you bring up about Philadelphia is really interesting because they really aren't in a spot where they can wait to the summer to sign one of these guys. And I think you look at Philadelphia right now and I don't know if they're going to get a better chance to come out of the Eastern conference than they are this year, because you get Embiid back healthy eventually, which you, you think you're going to get, I mean, he's dealing with that hyperextended knee, but he's going to come back soon. Ben Simmons is having probably one of his better seasons this year. Tobias Harris has really emerged in year, I guess, two and a half, you can consider it um, with Philadelphia. So to me, I think this is their best shot and why not go out, and make a significant move right now. And Kyle Lowry is a really good fit and an interesting name you bring up because I, I think that will allow Seth Curry to come off the bench and really lead that second unit, which I think is a great role for him because not only is he an explosive shooter, but you can put him with Cork Moss. You can put him with Mike Smith off the bench. They, they have a lot of guys off the bench that can shoot the ball and it adds a completely dynamic, different dynamic to their lineup. And Kyle Lowry, I think, is a great fit because he knows he doesn't have to be that alpha guy. I think one of the big things about Kyle Lowry was he learned how to really play as not the star of a team, as really a number two when Kawhi Leonard came in that one year and they won it all against Golden State. And and I think that's really important, especially on a Philadelphia team where he clearly wouldn't be option one with Joel Embiid. And he probably isn't option number two or three either because I'd give the ball to Tobias Harris over him in big situations. I'd give the ball to Ben Simmons over him in certain situations. Obviously, his inability to shoot the three is concerning. But uh, Lowry's an interesting name there because I think he's willing to play as a number two. But at the same time, for a guy that talented who's already won a championship, is he willing to be a three? Is he willing to be a four in terms of scoring options there at I'm not sure. I think he is. And I think the veteran in him will do that. I mean, he turns 35 on Thursday. So that would be interesting. And I also have to factor in, like he's on a one-year deal. So if he gets straight to Philadelphia, who knows if he's coming back after that year, they they could be a complete rental. And is Philadelphia willing to give up two potential first round picks and maybe Danny green to Toronto? I don't know. It's a tough question, but something that will be certainly interesting to monitor there. T- Toronto's a mess, by the way. We haven't even really talked about <laughs> them, but they've lost nine in a row somehow this year after taking Boston to seven games in the Eastern Conference semifinals last year in the bubble. So they've fallen apart. I don't know what's happened to Nick Nurse's team. Pascal Siakam's not having a great year. No one's having a great year in Toronto, but that'll be interesting to watch. Before we wrap things up, I do want to talk about one more name um, before we completely shut things down, and that's Victor Oladipo because – Rumors from Woj today that apparently the Heat and the Knicks are the two teams pushing the hardest for him. And a lot of teams aren't willing to give up big packages for Victor Oladipo. It's rumored to be a first-round pick and 
a young player. So for the next, that could potentially mean a Kevin Knox, even maybe an Obi Toppin at this point with his struggles this season. But uh, I want to speak my mind on Old Depot for a second. And if I'm the next, Old Depot is not the guy I'm interested in at this deadline for a few reasons. One, he's going to be a free agent this off seasons and you have plenty of cap space going into this summer. So if you want Old Depot, I would wait and not give up a first round pick because like we mentioned before, this is your one of the Tom Thibodeau. I know he wants to win. I know how badly he does, but you got the two first round picks from Dallas. You have your own first round pick going forward there's no need to give up a first round pick for a guy in Victor Oladipo who has clearly regressed since his injury. And this year just hasn't been all that good in Houston. How much of that being in Houston is part of the problem where they just lost 20 straight games. I don't know, but I wouldn't give that much capital up for Oladipo, especially given the off season. If I'm the next, the guy I'm interested in most probably is Lonzo ball right now, um, which is, Listen, it, it could get a little dicey with the money, and I, I would love to hear what LeVar Ball has to say about Tom <laughs> Thibodeau, to be completely honest with you, and being in the New York market. But I've seen a lot of strides from Lonzo Ball this year. I mean, he's finally fixed the shot. He's shooting 38% from three this year. He's averaging over 11 points. We obviously know what he can do passing the ball. And defensively, he's been awesome, and he's 23 years old. And I don't think New Orleans is going to be paying him this offseason – which makes me hesitant to trade for him because I think if you wait till the offseason, I think you can call New Orleans' bluff and offer him a restricted deal. So that would be kind of my play. But if there is a guy as a Knicks fan, I think they should stand pat personally with what they have right now. If anything, do something small, maybe trade Alfred Payton or something along those lines. But if there's one guy that I would want the Knicks to bring in, it's Lonzo Ball because I think he could be the point guard of the future with this team. Doesn't necessarily have – I love Emmanuel quickly. I love what he's done, but I'm still hesitant on saying he's a point guard. I think he's more of a two who can really handle the ball. But if there's one person that I'm looking to bring in for the Knicks, to me it's not Old Depot because of the payday he's going to get and the lack of efficiency he's had recently. It's I would take a gamble on Lonzo Ball personally because I love his game. I think he's built for Tom Thibodeau with the way he defends and the way he moves the ball. And he can create open shots for guys. And I think that's something the Knicks really need because as much as Alfred Payton can do that, he hawks up eight, 16 to 17 shots a game sometimes. And Lonzo Ball isn't going to be that type of guy. Yeah, I agree. Him working with Julius Randle in that young core, I think is a perfect fit. You know, you need that point guard to create for them. And I think he's going to speed up the game, make easier shots, uh, give them more lives. And, and I really, he has really come into his own this year and really found himself as a playmaker. And I think it'd be very interesting to have the ball family in New York. Like you said, I'd be interested to see what LeVar's feeling are, what his feelings are about that. But I would not be surprised if we see Lonzo ball in a Knicks uniform next year, but that's next year. I, I don't think it's going to happen come uh, this trade deadline in, in a few days, but, and I agree with you completely. I also don't think the Knicks should go for Victor Lodipo. He is not a consistent player right now. He's having an off year. I don't think he's someone you bring in and completely changes around your season. I don't think he would move the needle, especially considering Houston's kind of looking for a pretty high asking price considering his talent level. I do think Miami might be somebody who goes after him, especially because they do have a lot of young talent that they could, mm -hmm. you know, possibly trade for Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, Andre Iguodala, even maybe just to get rid of his contract. 
and they have the salary cap salary cap space to sign him over the summer, just like the Knicks would have. So I, I don't think Oladipo is worth going after. You said Lonzo Ball. I I mentioned him earlier, but I think Evan Fournier would be a great option for them. Again, I think they need shooting, and I think he has he can offer that. Um, besides that, like you said, I don't think this is a year for the Knicks to go out and try and get an all-star. I don't think this is a year for them to sacrifice a bunch of their players for someone who is a big name because they have what they have right now is working. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I, mm-hmm. I think right now what they're doing is exactly what they should be doing. If not, you know, surpassing what we thought they were going to do. So I think you run the scene, you continue to develop, you see what you can do with this young core and RJ and Randall leading it. And, and obviously Thibodeau, like you said, it's his first year, see what he can do with this team. And I would wait till the summer before you make any crazy moves. I agree with you. And I think we're completely on the same page. Fournier is an interesting piece who I think would be a good addition for the Knicks. I, I know Chris is a big fan of him who was on pick and pod last yes. week. So um, I'm sure he talked loads about it as well, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think this is the year for the Knicks to make that move for old Depot. I think a contender should potentially go out and get him because I think he can be a difference maker off the bench. Potentially. He's also a guy who can create his own shot, of course, but for a team like the Knicks, I think you have to recognize where you are right now is as great of a season as it's been. You're not winning a championship this year. Like Miami, they could potentially win a championship, even despite their slow start and a move for old Depot may make sense for the Knicks. They're not in that spot right now. So we'll see what happens. It should be a fun trade deadline on Thursday. Kelly expecting it to be quiet. I I think it might be a little louder um, than a lot of people are thinking. I'm definitely in the minority there though. So we'll see what happens. Um, Kelly, I'd say it's been a pleasure as always, but this was a great first time hosting. So (laughs) it has been a pleasure to host with you. And hopefully we get to do it again before both of us graduate this spring. But again, from Kelly Bright, I'm Jackson Heil. This has been Pick and Pod. We'll be back next week to recap the trade deadline and look ahead to the second half of the season. 